Yo, welcome into another episode of Capturing the Game. That's the Game Within the Game podcast featuring me, your host, Desma Jones, and my man's one and only, Jawan Polo Man Stewart. <laughs> Today, we got another special guest in the building, but before we get it, into it, uh, I just want to remind the audience and folks and listeners that Capturing the Game is presented by Capture Sports Agency, where the CEO and founder is Shanta Smith-Jones. Uh, we appreciate all the likes and subscribes on all the social media platforms, whether it be Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. You can follow us at CTG underscore podcast on all your uh, social media platforms. And you can also find us on uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, whatever your favorite podcast platform is, you can find us on there. Now that the introductions are out of the way, let's go ahead and talk about today's guest. Today, we bring to you the Julie DeCaro senior writer and editor of Deadspin. Julia, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you guys? Great. We're great. We're doing good. We're doing good. I got a, I got a, right now I got an injured wife. So, you know, after this podcast, I'm about to figure out what's going on with her. Look, it's ankles, ankles do not belong on the human body. Worst invention oh, by far. Oh my goodness. Between it's up that there with knees. like belly buttons. Yeah, belly buttons. <laughs> no, there's just no purpose. Yeah, the worst thing is like once you oh once God. you hurt your ankle, like you can hurt your ankle again, like laying in bed. Like, oh, the sheet got caught and I twisted my ankle. Like it's just <laughs> it's it's they're the worst. They never go back to as good as they were. Ever. That's true. That is true. Yeah, I get that, one. I get that. That is true. Like it's like recurring recurring injury. Yep. But it's, it's better to hear the stories of how people sprain their ankles because, like, especially if you're not like you know in sports <laughs> or something, you know, you just say, "Oh, I was walking and this my ankle just gave out." But like, what you mean? It just gave out. I did this one time my radio show and people were calling in and one guy was like standing in line for barbecue and blew out his knee. <laughs> and like a county fair, he's like he had to have it reconstructed completely. <laughs> I need to say, you know, I'm tired of waiting. Ugh, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> The knee tapped out before anything else did. Jeez, now, it's, speak, it's funny, you know, talk about just non-sports injuries, you know, especially when you, you know, regular day, everyday people like us, you know, and then next thing you know, you know, someone show up and work in the cast, like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> what happened to you? Oh, I fell off my roof. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what were you doing on your roof? <laughs> you know, so, yeah. You got, you got a lot of those. Yeah, I've been off a curb is a huge one too. Like I stepped off a curb. Ooh, that's yeah. a big one. Blew out my ACL. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Or the ones, you know, when you cut in the grass and you hit the the, the, the little pothole in your grass, you know, the uh, whole ankle just, oh. yeah. just done for you. Like, oh, <laughs> you're been, you're been cutting the grass like this. <laughs> All right. But Julie, like, go ahead and tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Um, I'm I'm a writer uh, now, which is a career that I've only had a short time. Um, I did a lot of stuff. I I started out in law and then I transitioned to blogging um, and then worked my way into radio. And um, I was a lawyer in there somewhere. And then (laughs) and and now now I'm doing what I think a lot of people are doing, which is just sort of like the gig economy thing. Like I wrote a book, I do a podcast, I, you know, I, I write for Deadspin, which is seems to be the way that 
uh, sports, especially media is going these days that you sort of try to cobble together like four different jobs into one regular job. Makes sense. So t- tell us about the book. I mean, we, we've seen it just well in March, right? It came out in March. Yeah, it came out in March. Um, so, so the book was a result of my constant screaming into the void on Twitter and, <laughs> um, <laughs> which I still do to this day, but I had a, um, guy from a publishing house reach out to me and say, you know, instead of just putting all this on Twitter, and yelling, you know, all day, have you thought about putting it into a book? And I, I really hadn't at that point. Um, and I didn't think I really had anything to say that anybody would want to read, but I was really lucky in that, you know, reaching out to other women who work in the industry, women like Jamel Hill, um, uh, gosh, who else is in the book? Uh, Imani McGee Stafford, who's playing the WNBA is in there. Uh, Kendall Coyne Schofield, who's on the U.S. Olympic hockey team. Um, you know, just all these fantastic women sold out O'Brien, um, all talked to me about their experiences in the industry. A lot of them were good. Some of them were not so good. And, um, we just sort of talked about what it's like to be a woman in sports media today and, and how that is sort of a microcosm of, of what it's like to be a woman in America and around the world today, that so many of the issues that we deal with in this country, um, we deal with in sports first, you know, I mean, baseball integrated before America integrated. And, you know, mm-hmm. we had the Black Lives Matter movement last summer um, and continuing on and sports obviously played a huge role in that. So I think a lot of the issues, social and, and racial issues that we deal with in this country, we work through them in sports. And I, I feel like we're having one of those moments um, with gender right now, among a lot of other things. It's interesting that you say that because just thinking about it, a lot of the stuff in that kind of brings us together in some regards is sports. It's kind of weird how that that all comes back full circle. It's, just, it's very weird. Yeah, I mean, it does. But I think in some ways, too, like we watch very differently. Like, I think yeah. that if you're a woman and you're watching a game and there's a guy out there who's been accused of violently beating his wife or raping someone, you know, it affects how you watch the game. And I think the same thing for, you know, what if you're, um, you know, member of the LGBTQ community and there's someone out there who is, you know, racially thrown around a racial slur. Yeah. And of course, we all know how or thrown around, a, excuse me, a homophobic slur. And then we all know what happened, you know, the way Colin Kaepernick was treated in the NFL. So, yeah. you know, when people say like stick to sports. I, you know, I only want to hear about sports. I don't want politics. I think that's a very narrow demographic that is able to do that. It's basically white men. And and the rest (laughs) of it is, you know, the rest of us are like stuck here trying to like, you know, get the leagues to behave better and in America to do better. And, you know, one of the ways we do that is through sports. True. And it's weird too, I guess this is, this is an interesting time to kind of be a, you know, a, sports fan too because you got a lot of the sexual abuse and just assault stuff that's been going on that it's like it's never been talked about in the sense of on this grander scale and there's you know the great players that are doing it and it's like well we don't want to take away the great players because that's revenue and money but it's like you just can't be out here beating your wife or your girl or a pregnant lady for you know all that for that matter and it's like when do we put back the, the yeah to draw on the line of the human yeah. like it, it, people are human beings at the end of the day but yeah let's there's there's consequences that have to be paid as well I think yeah I, and I completely agree. And it, it's a really weird thing that we're sort of asking leagues to do, because what we found is, is a place where the justice system um, hasn't stepped up. And so we're right. asking leagues to step up and, and punish people, which is, you know, I mean, I used to be a public defender. I'm not like just okay with, you know, allegations mean that it happened. 
um, and that you can just toss it out there and, you know, the, the guy, you know, is, is done for his career. Like, I, so it's, it's really tough. And I, I think it's a tough line for the leagues. It's tough for the players. It's tough for the fans to try to figure out, you know, how much punishment is enough? Like when has someone earned a second chance? When is there enough evidence that we should think that this actually happened? You know, it's, um, it's a really difficult situation for everyone involved. And in a perfect world, we wouldn't ask sports leagues to do this because our criminal justice system would be handling it, but they're not. So here's where we are. Now, let me ask you this. I've always, I've been curious. I want to hear from uh, you since you're more in that, that sphere. Mm -hmm. So it's always that first, right? So like, if you look at the Colin Kaepernick of the world, the, the Ray Rice, the Michael Vick, um, you know, that first thing to do anything, like it seems like they get the brunt of it, but then afterwards, the people that are after that kind of get eh, a little slap on the wrist, slap on the wrist, but the person that took the initial hit, they get the, they get all the, the all the backlash. They get all of it. Like at the yeah. end of the day. Why do you think that is? I think that, you know, a lot of it is PR, that there's this, you know, it's just like with prosecutors, you know, the league's like, oh, we have this new policy. We're going to make an example out of this guy. We're going to make an example. Yeah. You know, no one's ever going to do this again once they see. But, you know, it, it, it always starts to fall away once everybody's not looking at it. You know, I mean, right. the right. NFL is supposed to be, you know, six game baseline if you, you know, violate the domestic violence policy. Right. But we saw Josh Brown get one freaking game and there was 20 years of evidence of abuse. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I just think that leagues do this stuff because they think they have to. I'm sure there's some people involved that really do care about this, but, you know, by and large, I, I think that they're just, they would rather not do this. They just want to do football and make money and that's it, you know, and I'm talking about the owners in the league, not necessarily the players. Yeah, of course. Um, and, and anything that detracts from that is just not anything they're, they're interested in and, and nor are they qualified or trained to do it in any way. So it's just kind of messed up for everybody involved. It is. Um, the one thing that I'm looking forward to hopefully start changing more and more this is somewhat off topic is just like the the ownership you know we need more minority owners mm -hmm. in these leagues because you know it's 98.9 you know yeah. white men that's been running these leagues for the past 40 50 decades you know depending on the sport or sure even if you go back to baseball say past 100 years you know right yeah yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think that one of the things that's so frustrating is that every time we have a labor issue, the fans seems like always side with the billionaires over the athletes. And there's this always. feeling, I think, especially yeah. among white people that it's sort of like, well, you know, they earned their money, they're billionaires, but these guys, they're just lucky they can play football or God knows what they'd be doing. And it's sort of like, these guys didn't earn their money either. Like, like, how do you say that a guy who like inherited his wealth earned it, but a guy who goes out there every Sunday and puts his body on the line and risks CTE and all that kind of stuff yeah. didn't earn it. And that's a thing that really drives me crazy. And I feel like we're already starting to see that with MLB, with people already right. complaining about the players yeah. being greedy. Like nobody's greedier than billionaires. What are you blaming the players for? Right. And, and that's something too, I think that as fans, I think some fans don't, see I'm, I'm always the person that kind of leans to, I, I like I want to hear both sides but you know from the owner's perspective they always want to baseline make more money that's just right. what it is right from a player's perspective it's like okay me being a former athlete like I get like you know okay yeah, I want extra perks too if I retire mm -hmm. at this age or this time like that incentive wise it makes sense like you want to make sure 
you're getting a bang for your buck as well. You want a piece of the pie as well. So it's always that give and pull, but it seems like, especially with this MLB thing, this is definitely, I think, going to be, this may be one for the long haul in some regards, yeah. the way it's looking currently. Mm-hmm. Um, they I mean, got at the some end time. of the day, at the end of the day, it's a wealth transfer, right? From yeah. rich white people to largely minority groups. And yeah. I think that is at the bottom, the, the base of what bothers people about it so much. Um, and and I kind of I, I kind of love that, you know, it's happening. It's I mean, it's funny to watch people get so upset about it. So okay, let me ask you. This is a just thinking about that. So what if it was an all-white league? and all white owners and we had a labor issue what would you think there would be that much of an outcry or an issue no i don't okay i mean i don't i mean look (laughs) i've heard so many people say like you know oh that guy's so lucky he can hit a baseball or else he would be you know he'd be in a poorhouse or whatever but no one ever says that about billionaires no one's ever like wow tom ricketts is so lucky his dad started a marriage trade, or he'd be you know i mean the ricketts are some of the worst people around and fans will side with them over these players that they supposedly love. And, you know, I've thought about it a lot. I've talked to a lot of people about it. And all we can come up with is that there's, you know, a class and a racial component to this that we need to work mm. through as a society. It's not fun. It's not. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> there it is. Drop there the mic it is. In, the, in the episode right now. Yeah, there I mean, it is. <laughs> But uh, so, Julie, so you've worn many different hats. So do you have like a personal hat, a favorite hat that you wore? So, you know, you've worked in radio, you've been a lawyer. Now you write being a writer. Like what's like amongst these different stages of your Mm. career? What's been your favorite? I think I'm a writer at heart at the bottom of everything. Um, I loved being a public defender. I think someday I may go back and do it again, Um, you know, um, because it is a job that first of all, it is, it is fun. It doesn't sound like it would be fun, but it is tons of fun. You have great camaraderie with people you work with, you get to meet wonderful people and you, um, you feel like it's worthwhile every day you get out of bed with a purpose. And, um, especially if you work in a County, like the one I did where the prosecution was just horrible, it was fun every day to get up and feel like you were the rebel who was just going in there to like, fuck shit up. Can I say that? Can we swear in here? You can swear on here. Okay. Okay. Good. Um, I think I'm a writer, but you know, I, I really miss radio. I really miss, especially like after a really bad bears game, I really miss just like opening the phone lines and just commiserating with people about how bad the bears are. That is really fun. And I grew up listening to sport to sports talk radio and talk radio in Chicago. And, and I absolutely love that medium. So I think if I had to pick one thing, it would, it would probably be writing, but after that, it gets tough to choose. Yeah, I, I get that. And I do understand, you know, as a, as a listener in the station, the, the, the Bears Monday after a real bad game. Funny, hilarious calls. Some yeah. all-time classical ones in there for sure. Well, um, well, y'all had a lot of bad those, so that's we have. Yeah, we, there's no yeah. hiding that. Might as well yeah. just. <laughs> this one is keeping coming. Those days when like radio feels like the world's biggest sports bar or the city's biggest sports bar. You know, I mean, those were the most fun days. Um, or like when you just come up with a random topic, like you know, non-sports injuries, and then everyone starts calling in. One day we did like best childhood, your favorite childhood game, and then we just wound up marveling at how violent we all were as children. And it just that's what we wound up talking about for like two hours. It was just like like someone in my neighborhood brought their parents put this huge pile of dirt in their yard. It was like 12 feet tall. And we decided we were going to play King of the Mountain on it on our bikes. 
So you had to be on your bike when you got like thrown off the top of this. And we were like seven and we're playing with like 14 year olds. So we're just getting tossed all over the place. I'm just like the eighties, man. There was nothing like it. We were completely unsupervised. We had no safety equipment. Someone was telling me about a game where you line all your friends up against the wall and throw a hard ball at them as hard as you can. <laughs> just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of stuff I miss talking about. Yeah, those, yeah, those, those are, those are the days. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> Great times. Thinking back to childhood. But you guys are mm-hmm. younger than me. Like I'm telling you in the eighties, there was no supervision whatsoever. We were just, you're gone for like 12 hours. Your parents are like, I don't know where she is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm just saying, yeah, I mean, we, in my era, I mean, we had some, we, we did some things as, you know, we played rocks with rocks, throwing rocks at things that we shouldn't have been throwing rocks at. Uh, Did you guys have to wear bike helmets? uh, I'll see. I know this is a, (laughs) I would just say this, people don't know this about me, but I don't know how to ride a bike. So uh, Ah, uh, I'm one of those kids. Every kid I see see out in the suburbs riding a bike has a helmet on. Like we never would have worn a helmet. You would have been you would have been laughed off the block if you had to ride your bike oh in a helmet. Gosh. Yeah, I was. I'm I'm the kid that needs four wheels or, or three. <laughs> That's okay. I want a, yeah, three I want is a fine. Car. You know, I wanted a car. Or something. You know, I was that kid that I was bougie when I was a kid. Like I was like, hey, I need hey, put two more wheels on there. I need the two wheel car. I need that one. I want the I want a little car, electric a bike. car driving around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. want the bike. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah I'm just am, I'm just amazed right now that you grew up and I ju- I'm just now finding this is breaking news right now by the way that Juwan doesn't know how to ride a bike I'm really appalled right now see well okay those let great me, spontaneous moments you get in radio let me let else. me let me rephrase okay <laughs> I learned okay and I fell off the bike uh-huh. twice I uh-huh. said I'm good I'm good I don't need to keep falling for me to learn how to ride a bike <laughs> at that point I, I'm good if I have four wheels I know I'm stable as a young kid I understood the logic of stability when I seen the car drive by, it didn't flip over. Uh, so I'm like, hey, let, why do I need to have a bike? I, give me four wheels. So I couldn't wait to drive. I was that six-year-old kid like, hey, can I have a car? <laughs> do I get a car? I need a car. Like, that's me. That was who I was. So, you know, hey, it is what it is. I ain't tripping. I'm stressed. So, like, you not once be like, yo, let me go ahead and ride my bike over to one of my no. homies. I was like. Oh. I will walk. I'll walk. I'd rather ride. walk. You never ride around with a basketball on your bike, you know, just go to like a court to court. I walk. You know? I, walk. I was walking everywhere. I was in shape. I was good. Like, I was great. I was great. I'll deal with this man afterwards. All right. I'll deal with this man afterwards. Uh, but so, ooh, so talk to us a little bit about being a public defender. Like, do you have a favorite story that you have for being a public defender? God, I have I so many of them. I'm going to say, you probably got a lot of those. Yeah, well, yeah. we used to have a list on um it, of all the clients we had with famous names. I mean, that was pretty hilarious. Like, I'd have, like, Jose Cuervo as a client, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah. I had, okay, so I had one, I have a bunch of stories, including one client who attacked me in court because she thought I was a witch because I have red hair. Wow. Um, She wasn't fit to stand trial. But, okay. <laughs> and another guy who wasn't fit to stand trial, but he, um, and his name was Jesus, and he wore an entire Cubs jersey, like the whole uniform, like not just like the cleats, the high socks, everything. He thought he was um, a player. Yes. He also thought he was Jesus because his name was Jesus. And so he, and he was number one, of course, because what other number would you be when you're Jesus and you play for the Cubs? So he, uh, 
we were trying to set a date, you know, to have him evaluated. And he said to the judge, and it was one of the greatest judges I've ever been in front of. He said to the judge, um, you know, I can't be here that day. And the judge was like, well, why, what do you have going on? And, and he said, we're on, we have a road trip that day. We're playing the Cardinals in St. Louis. And the judge is like, oh, and he gets, the judge gets out his pocket calendar. And the two of them are sitting there, like putting their heads together over the bench, like trying to figure out when he's free, like when the Cubs are in town, when they have an off day that he could come and be evaluated. And stuff like that happens in misdemeanor court, like all the time. Like that's what the best thing about being a public defender is when you're in misdemeanor court, like nothing truly terrible ever happens. Nobody's going to jail for a long time. Nobody's like, you know, nobody's dead. It's all just stupid stuff mostly. And it's hilarious a lot of the time. I hate two people that got, in, that got arrested at Sybaris. Do you guys have Sybaris out there where you are? I don't think so. What are those July. like couples hotels that have like pools and heart-shaped beds and everything in them? Uh-uh. Not like oh. All right. So uh. it's, if that's what it is, it's like, uh, they're like Sybaris suites for you and your lover. And it's like, oh, yeah, no, you know, they show people those. going down a water slide, you know, and everything. <laughs> It's one of those kind of things, but two people there got arrested for whipping frozen hamburger patties at each other. And wow. yeah, they came in and they were both just covered in like hamburger sized bruises, which really isn't funny, but I mean, you know, it was kind of funny. <laughs> so, so wait, <laughs> did, <laughs> did, did, uh, did Jesus get, uh, what, what did he get? What, what, what was his punishment? I mean, I think he wound up being committed involuntarily to a facility ah, where they could okay. better attend to his needs <laughs> as a player and as Jesus. Um, he had double duty. He had right. double duty, I mean, man. It's a lot of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> of course. I mean, it's the kind of stuff that like, it, it's sad, oh but it's God. also, you know, if you don't laugh about it, you'll cry. And so yeah. there's a lot of those moments where you're just sort of, I, I can't believe this is a real thing. I feel like Night Court, you guys are probably too young to ever watch Night Court, but it was it was a sitcom that took place in like evening bond court. And I feel like it was the most um, accurate portrayal of being a public defender I've ever seen. <laughs> oh my God. I'm just, I'm sitting here trying to like, I'm envisioning this man with a whole Cubs outfit on yeah. and he's saying that he's Jesus. I just, yeah. I can't, I can't hear <laughs> I, look yep. it, it doesn't surprise Ooh. me but like, i mean hey like those people need someone to be on their side right i mean no do. matter who you are you need someone on your side yeah. um i really believe that and i really believe in giving people the best possible defense no matter what they're accused of so it was a job that you know you don't want someone who's gonna represent jesus who's gonna just you know like throw him in the you know throw him in jail and knock away the key that's not where he belonged so, you know, it feels like my job, I'm here to make sure that you're taken care of the way you should be taken care of. And people say all the time, like, you know, how could you represent criminals? It's like, well, it's not like I was saying they didn't do it. I was trying to get them off. I was trying to make sure that the system worked the way it was supposed to and that the prosecution did their job. And, and that I think is a really important job. And public defenders are superheroes as far as I'm concerned. I agree with that. I do. Um. Switching gears a little bit, going back to sports for a little bit. So when you when you did your book, was there anything that stood out to you um, from hearing the different people's experience in the industry? Or was there anything that was like, you know, I'm not really surprised that happened to you at all? I think that the biggest thing was that I think so many of us that are uh, the only woman in the room in a lot of different outlets, I was shocked by how similar our experiences were and how 
people use the same like gaslighting techniques against us. So, you know, um, like if you're getting, you know, you're being harassed on Twitter and it's like, well, get off Twitter, you know, or women who say, you know, uh, you know, my, the men I work with never share my work, never retweet my stuff, never like they'd never include me in anything. I think that a lot of us always feel like we're the only ones um, that are being treated that way. And it's because of something you did. And when you talk to so many other women from super, super successful women like Jamel Hill and Andrea Kramer, down to women who sort of work behind the scenes and aren't really publicly known, the fact that we've all had such similar experiences, I think, um, was really comforting to know like, it's not just me, it's not something that I'm doing wrong, that there's women all across the country having the exact same experience as me. And, and that really was surprising to me. So I guess, how how was it working? You said you worked with Jamel Hill or heard from her? She was in the book, yeah. She, she gotcha. talked to me for the book, yeah. Gotcha. How was that, I guess? I mean, she's great. She's, Jamel is always, um, whenever she's, I think one of the most generous people in sports media, probably media in general. She, um, you know, I got to meet her when we were on a panel together um, at Andrea Kramer's symposium in Boston and um, we stayed in touch. And every time I've asked her, you know, to come on a podcast, to come on my show, to contribute to a book, like she always says yes. And I think those people are so rare um, and so few and far between, especially with someone who's as busy as Jamel. I feel like every time I turn around, she's doing something else. You know, she's got some other announcement for something she's producing or involved in, or, you know, she's going to be speaking here or whatever. Um, so, you know, the fact that she gives her time to so many different people, I think is really incredible. And, um, you know, I try to take a cue from her and try to be as available as she is. Um, and, and I think that she is a really important voice and I, I value her honesty. I value her courage. I mean, there's been days when she has, you know, she's always just spits truth on Twitter, but there's plenty of times when, you know, she's the number one trending topic and everyone's just, you know, talking about how much they hate her. And I've reached out to her and said, like, you know, I'm so sorry this is happening to you. I hope you're okay. And she's just like, oh, this is Tuesday for me. You know, she's just, she is so unfazed. She's so confident in herself and her abilities. Um, everyone I know who's worked with her is like, she's the smartest person I know. And, um, I, I just really, I mean, I think she's younger than me, but I actually, you know, I look up to her. I think she's incredibly brave and, um, she gives me courage to, to say things when I know I'm going to get backlash for it. So, um, she is someone whose voice I value tremendously. So I guess let's, let's talk about that as a, as a writer, you know, and kind of being on that, living on that edge and, you know, this whole cancel culture thing, you mm -hmm. know, or just the whole thing of, you know, you say anything now that's slightly out of pocket or out the way, if not with the main consensus of everybody, you know, you gonna get backlash. I mean, how do you yeah. navigate that? <laughs> not that well. <laughs> I mean, I think that, I think that the key, and one of the things I have learned, and I will say this, that, you know, I look back at some of the stuff I said when I first got on Twitter, or even after I'd been on Twitter a few years, before I really started following a lot of people who have very different experience than I do. And it's just sort of cringing. It's just like, oh my God, how much more of like a clueless white woman could you be? But um, I think that it's really important to make sure that you diversify who you're following on social media, because I have learned viewpoints and I look at things completely differently because of what other people have said that I never thought of. Um, so I think that one of the things is, you know, when you're getting backlash and if you're in the public eye in any way, everybody does, you're inevitably going to say something that's going to be stupid or misinterpreted or tone deaf, or, you know, maybe even mean spirited or nefarious. And, and I think that the first thing to do is to try to decide, you know, 
to look at what you said instead of just knee jerking to defending yourself and apologizing if it's something that you got wrong. Now, one of the things I hate about Twitter particularly is that there is just no room for nuance in like 280 characters. And you don't often get a chance to try to explain yourself. I think we've created this sort of toxic culture where it's like you get one thing wrong and now you're no longer a person worth knowing or worth interacting with. And that I think is, is, is rough. Um, but I think, you know, for a lot of us, I think taking long breaks from Twitter is something that I see more and more people doing. I was off for about six to eight weeks um, from the summer going into the fall. And it was a tremendous time of healing <laughs> and not uh, stressing out every day about whether or not people were going to come for me. But, you know, there's also a lot of um, disingenuous criticism on Twitter, too. And so I think that when people are criticizing you, you need to sort of ask where they're coming from. Are, there, are they coming from a place of sincerity? And if they are, they usually give you some grace. And if they're not, then, you know, I mean, I guess it was nice knowing you. I'll try to do better. Good luck with your life. And I think that's really all you can do. Yeah, I encourage people, and I haven't done it myself lately, but I encourage people when you get a chance to take a break from social media, mm -hmm. just because of how, like, how much it impacts you like you don't really know until you until you take a step away from it until yeah. you remove yourself from it and uh you know it impacts our lives like we kind of live around it I, I forget what the average number is how many times we pick up a phone a day but just the fact that like do yourself a favor like just move the app just move the twitter from where it used to be and, and, and watch what happens to you <laughs> yeah and I, I think the thing that is so weird about it is that when you're in it you feel like it's the world, like this is what's happening in the world. And then when you step away from it, you realize that people don't, don't spend their entire day on Twitter, don't know about any of this stuff that you think is so important that everyone cares about, right? I mean, like, they're like, you know, what, what the hell is this blue white dress thing? What is, you know, I mean, people just don't know. And in Twitter, it's like, what do you mean? What was the llama chase? Everybody knows about the llama chase um, or whatever the, you know, the Twitter person of the day. Um, it's just not the real world, even though it feels like it. And unfortunately, if you work in media, everyone else in your industry is in it too. So you feel like you have to be there. But I think you're right. Like to the extent that you can step away, it's really healthy to do so. Yeah. What's what type of advice would you give to your younger self now that you've been in the in the industry for so long? What's something that you would give back to to your younger self? I think to that's a great question. I think specifically, I wish that I had had the confidence in my twenties that I have in my forties that, um, you know, not taking, I, I took a lot of bullshit from a lot of people because I just didn't have the confidence to say, you're not allowed to do that. Um, and, and I think that, especially if you're, if you're a person who's part of a marginalized group and in the sports world, that definitely includes women. Um, you get this attitude where it's like, I'm just lucky to be here. And I just have to keep my head down and stay quiet and not speak up and not rock the boat. And, and nothing changes if we all decide to do that. So, um, and, and I see a younger generation coming behind me that is much more vocal, much less willing to put up with bullshit and um, asks for what they want and call people out when they behave badly. And I, I think that's a really great thing. I wish I had come to that earlier in my life. Yeah, I I mean I, I understand that too. Cause sometimes I wish that like sometimes I get a little timid in certain spaces, I would say. And mm -hmm. I you know, and I would shrink my voice and I may not stand up. But it just some days I'd be like, all right, F it. Like we mm -hmm. just gonna tell them how it is. We gonna let them know what 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 it is and you know what's gonna happen. So I yeah, I get that. I, I think, you know, with this younger generation, 
you know, looking from from they're a lot bolder in some areas for mm-hmm. for a good good for good reasons and bad reasons. Like <laughs> they they don't hold no punches. They mm-hmm. have no shame. They will say stuff with no facts, but they will still say it. <laughs> and uh, you know, this is 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 interesting watching this you know this younger generation and i'm saying it like i'm super old but it just uh you it's are interesting. old <laughs> to say it, you old i'm i'm semi-old you know it's 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 not even nine o'clock i'm not sleepy yet so i ain't old yet yeah. uh, what time did you have dinner that's the real determining factor okay then you're not old Ooh. old people have dinner at like 4 30 he's trying to be young he's trying to be young he's old <laughs> i'm an old yeah i'm old so i am yeah. He's an old millennial. Yeah. He's an old millennial. That's what he is. Whatever. I'm a young but, millennial, so that's all. But go continue. Continue. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's interesting to see each different facets of the generation, you know, and I think now we're trying to do a better job at empowering and making sure that, you know, women voices are being heard more in an age that's never happened. And I would say never happened, but it hasn't happened as much, you know, as it has been recently over the past, you know, three, four years. It's like a slow build to it. So yeah. it's uh, great to see right now. Yeah, I think like, especially my generation, I'm a Gen Xer and all the ones before me. I mean, I was literally told by teachers, you know, boys don't like girls that know more than them. Stop raising your hand or, you know, stop interrupting. Um, you know, be, don't be pushy. Don't be bossy. Nobody likes girls that are pushy and bossy. Well, when you get into the sports world, guess what? Everyone is pushy and bossy. And if you don't push back, you're going to get left behind. So I think we've done young women a lot of disservice with that stereotype that, you know, if you want to be attractive to boys, if you want to be feminine, you have to be quiet and hold your tongue and don't get angry. And now we have a generation of women that are like, why do I cry every time I get mad? And we have therapists telling us you cry when you were mad because you're never allowed to express your anger in any other way when you were a child. And so, um, I think it's something that, you know, hopefully when we're, hopefully girls, young girls are not getting that message anymore. I hope that's the case. Yeah, I mean, I'll say, you know, with me being a young millennial, a young Gen Zer, uh, oldest. So I'm either depending on how they classified, I'm either the oldest Gen Z or the youngest millennial. But either way, you know, it's I can teeter between the line and kind of I have that filter that I understand, like like you know, you're saying of just having no holding no punches. Like I don't I don't care about any of that in the workforce. Like that has kind of to a degree, made some people at my job look at me a little bit differently because they like, man, he really don't be caring about any type <laughs> of like navigating the waters. I'm going to navigate the waters, but I'm going to do it the way I'm going to do it. And, you know, being in a company that's older, like baby boomers mm-hmm. age, they hate that. Like, that's just, yeah. they hate it. Like, you said you're, you're not happy at your job. Yeah, I'm not, y'all not doing, yes, I'm not happy. There's a problem here. Like, yeah. They look at that like, what's wrong with him? Why is he? Yeah. Why is he? Why is he? Why is he talking about it? Like they put they pull up their right? charge and be like, everyone said that they was doing good. What, yeah, what's the you know, it's like, no, nah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not that guy. Like I'm gonna tell you, hey, this is this is jacked up. This is really jacked up, and you need to fix this because if not, then I'm. Be out that dough. Like, yeah, I feel like doing. boomers yeah. put a lot of, um, and especially you know, coming from a from boomers in the Midwest, I feel like there's a lot of um, 
emphasis placed on obedience and rule following and not rocking the boat and being polite. And it's like, at the end of the day, for what? Like, if you're being, if you're not being intentionally cruel to people, and if you're getting your work done and you're not causing problems for your coworker, who cares what the fuck you say about it during the day? Like, what is the point of all that? Mm -hmm. It's, um, yeah, it's messed up. So yeah, I've been on the I've been on the, the wrong end of a lot of sticks there when it comes to my job. I so, can imagine. You know, it is what it is. I, I'm I'm cool with it at this point. I like being the the guy that they like. Oh yeah, that's the yeah. It's okay. <laughs> you're the angry you're the angry black guy at work. Oh, hey, hey, it is what it is. But when you're good at your job, they you got to do something about it. That's all I'm gonna say. I you know just put that out. You're right. You you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. But also, so Julie, you know, how has it been working with Deadspin so far? Like, I believe you've been there for, is it three years? No, only almost, it'll be two years in the spring. Um, So (laughs) I came into Deadspin at a really rough time. I mean, um, I had lost my job in radio and they reached out to me and I was like, I'm not working for Deadspin, you know, because it was right after that mass exodus. And it was a site that was important to me. You know, I read it every day and um, I, I really appreciated the kind of journalism they did, um, you know, but at the end of the day, it's, it's like every media outlet is getting taken over by venture capitalists. There's the rear, where are these like lily white pure places that we're supposed to work? And, you know, a lot of us um, needed jobs. So we sort of all wound up there together and we have a, a much more diverse staff. Um, we have a lot of young writers that I think are really terrific. And I'm really proud of the issues that we tackle. I mean, we we talk a lot about race. We talk a lot about COVID. We talk a lot about uh, inequality, whether it's class or money or education or, um, you know, and so I'm, I, I continue, it's a different kind of site. You know, I mean, we don't get to do, what do we stick in our butt this year? You know, or like <laughs> any of the like, you know, William Sonoma catalog stuff that was always so popular. And I'm glad to see that they're continuing to do that over at Defector and, um, we're trying to live up to their reputation and do the kind of reporting that we think is important in sports media that isn't being done enough. I mean, there's too many outlets that are tied to leagues or tied to brands and, and can't necessarily talk about the kinds of things that we talk about. So I'm, I'm, I'm gratified that, you know, I'm, that we're able to do that and that we're able to do it without interference from corporations or parent companies or anything else. You venture capitalism has taken over everything. Mm-hmm. Or they just they just got the money, dropped the money, buy up everything, look through it. Eh, we're gonna sell it off and spend it off as this. <laughs> yeah, and and I'll say this: one of the things I really like about working there is that we have a really strong union. And I never thought that like that you know I would wind up in a union. To me, that was always like auto workers, um, people in factories, things like that. But I, I think that um, I never thought there would be a need for one in something like uh, you know a media outlet, but. Uh, there definitely is a need and seeing more and more companies unionize uh, is great. And I, God, I think if you work at a job, you should be in a union. That's a, that's a nugget right there. Um, so for you, Julie, um, did, did you have any mentors? I know you looked up to people um, like Jamil, but was there any other mentors that you have along the way that helped you navigate your career and maybe ha- help you navigate difficult situations that you encountered throughout your time in the industry? I was blessed for some reason with the fantastic Andrea Kramer um, being a friend and um, 
talking me down off some ledges. Um, Lisa Guerrero, who once hosted Monday Night Football, once was on Monday Night Football. Um, she's a person that I think has been through the ringer in this industry. And she uh, is always very generous with her time and with her advice. Um, Soledad O'Brien is someone else who, who's been great to me. And I have no idea why I get to, you know, call her a friend, but she's, she's fantastic. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of teachers along the way and a lot of women behind the scenes, um, Mary Dixon in Chicago, who was at, used to be at WXRT and now is at WBEZ and is absolutely killing it, um, on our public radio station is someone too, who I've cried on her shoulder many times. And she's, you know, sort of talked me through things that she's already been through. So I, I think that it's, it's tough to find mentors in this industry because there aren't a lot of women that have been around for a long time. Like women get moved out of this industry as soon as you're deemed no longer attractive to men, that you get moved out um, in a lot of ways. So these women that have stuck around, Mary Carrillo, Doris Burke, Andrea Kramer, who are still absolutely, you know, just slaying it every single day um, in their jobs and are still at the top of the industry. I think that it's so great that they have been so, um, generous in, in helping younger women sort of work, work through some of these issues. And, and I try to give my time as much as I can to the women coming behind me. Um, Melissa Ludke, who was the first woman in an uh, MLB locker room, she had to sue to get into a major league locker room. She sued major league baseball. Um, she's someone that has been there for me every time, you know, I've, I've needed a shoulder to cry on. And so there's been a lot. Um, and and I'm, I'm really grateful for that. Everyone needs a good mentor along the way. Yeah, I agree. Like, do you want you just get disconnected? You, you think? No, I hit the wrong button, man. I'm sorry. I hit the wrong button. <laughs> I'm, I'm look like you just. I was trying to hit screen. the. I was trying to hit the un unmute, but I hit the wrong button. That, it just happened. I don't know. You know, technical difficulty. Me being, you know, I just hit the wrong button. Like that's <laughs> not allowed as a tech person. You know, we both it is. It is. It is. <laughs> Sometimes you have a goof moment. You like, ooh, You're I, right. ooh, I did that. Oops. You're right. Well, what were you getting to say? You you unmuted yourself. You about to jump Well, in. no, no. I was just saying, you know, I was on Deadspin site and I was just kind of scrolling through some of your articles, Julie, and I was just kind of like, oh wow, like there's a not oh wow. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> just some of the the uh, titles that I'm like, oh, like I I agree or mm, okay, that's interesting. Take <laughs> you know, so just kind of going through it, and you know, I seen the the Calvin Ridley uh piece that you did you know america loves a the title america loves a dead celebrity and it was like mm -hmm. oof like wait that's a click one oh click that well receipt. you know the thing you about know? that was that the <laughs> same week that people were just letting calvin ridley have it for taking time off and saying he quit yeah. on the team and he lets teammates down people were posting pictures of robin williams and talking about how much yeah. they loved him and it's like jesus yeah. christ robin williams would have wanted calvin ridley to take the time off yeah it's yeah and that's something that i think it's it's interesting when when people bring light to things like this. I mean, you're one of them. I can Jamel's another one. Like when you slant the argument and it makes sense, like in the in the space that you know, this like people like, you know, it's this hypocrisy that you that you're mm -hmm. that you're kind of trying to promote, like, oh, like he's taking time off. Why? He cares about his mental health. So what? I want to play football and it's right. like it's like you might as well be tossing uh, coins at him like dance yeah, Rummy. you know it's just yeah you know yeah. and it's like and then i'm thinking like when he took and i'm because you know me being a fantasy fantasy guy playing fantasy sports you know i, I got him on my team and i'm like mm -hmm. huh well i mean that yeah, sucks but i was like 
good for him. Like, the man's mental yeah. health is but it's, it's more important to me winning the fantasy game. I could care less about that. But I said, that, that's good for him. Good for him. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, people's like, aren't you upset? No, not really. I used to be. But now that I see it, it's it's his life. Like, he plays yeah. a game that I don't play. Like, I would hate to get hit as hard yeah. as they get hit on a daily basis. Like, I think especially with the rise of good. fantasy football and with, you know, Madden and MLB yeah. and, you know, NBA 2K, whatever. It's, um I think it's real easy to, to lose track of players as human beings and to see them as, you know, con- players that you can control on your screen. Yeah. Um, and, and that is, you know, I think an unfortunate side effect of, of all the, the, the gaming and the fantasy football that we've had. Yeah. And some people lose touch of that reality, you know, and that's yeah. something that's, it's sad, you know, in a lot of regards, cause it's like, you realize this is fake. <laughs> right. It's called right. fantasy, like yeah. fantasy me that ain't real. Like it's not Look, real. And he's on my fantasy team too. I, you know, yeah. I, yeah. my first reaction was, oh shit. Shit. but then right but right yeah think like all right let's think about the human being for a minute and right. that's the step i think a lot of people are missing these days yeah the first thing i did when i seen it i was like i take a time off hey he'll probably be back at the end of the year i can put him back in the lineup sooner or later then i was like well, let me find the next best falcon receiver who oh, have russell gage ah there we go okay that'll be perfect. yeah it'll that's be fine. perfect it's fine. yeah we'll be good we'll be good <laughs> hey i reaped the benefit of that because i was going to get someone that would have had Calvary, you know, have him start. And I was like, yes, easy victory this week. Let's go. Oh, to wow. the playoffs. Oh, wow. You know? I thought your hey. team was like two and, and nine. Hey, we're not going to talk about that, all right? <laughs> Is it my, still two my, and nine? No, my team's recovered. They're like five and seven right now. Or six well, that's and still seven. not good. That's not good. You're not – there's no way you're in the playoff picture right now. There's no way. I'm, I'm, if, if two teams would have lost last week <laughs> – I would have been in the, in the playoff picture. You need too much help. That's just, that's not good in fantasy. That's hey, it's not. It's not, not. It's not. But you know, coming from where I came from, like I'm on like a five game winning streak right now. It's like career high right here. I'm like, I'm riding <laughs> a wave right now. Well, I mean, I can't say nothing because I mean, my last I'm in a keeper league, so like the last you know five years have just been uh, tank, tank, and tank, and more tanking. Um, that's finally. We've had some progression. I'm in the playoffs this year, so yay you, you know, yay me, yay. Uh, so hopefully I can, you know, win some money this year. Hopefully we'll see. But hey, keep, keeper leagues are rough, man. I'm, I'm in the keeper well. league as well, and I came well. into it late, so like they've been running this keeper league for like the past six years. I just came well. in last year, take it over somebody. Everyone man. looking at me all like you easy money right now because. <laughs> We all got well, players for the past five years. Well, yeah, you know, when you pick, pick the wrong people, you know, I kind of. Ah, Have you guys that, ever played in a keeper league that has like a really, really complicated draft structure that, no. you know, like I, I played in a keeper MLB no. league that had like, the, like they these guys have been playing together for like 10 years. They had tweaked their draft strategy so that. I, I don't even know. I don't even, I can't even explain it. Cause I didn't understand it at all. And I wound up with like the worst team. And they're just like, my friend who invited me, all his friends are like, why did you bring this stupid girl in here? She didn't even know what she's doing. And I was like, I swear to God, I know about baseball. I just don't understand your draft rules. Yes. It, was, it wasn't a great. So what was it like? Uh, like you, they had, you can only do this like around here. And then you had another <gasps> you know, it was there, years ago. Like- no, it was like, you could only pick guys under certain circumstances and it had to do with some combination of like your draft order, their last OBP. And like, so it was like, wow. it was insane. And That's I was just much. like, yeah. And like after the draft, I was like, hey, you know what? I'm out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> For us in this league. So say you draft a player 
you know, in the ninth round of the NFL draft, right? Um, if you, you decide to keep that person, it will cost you a number seven round draft pick next year. So what? It, yeah, it moves up two two draft picks depending on, and you're going to keep a person for like three years at max. What? And you can't, and you can't keep two quarterbacks. You only keep one quarterback. But how many people are you keeping? You get three keepers. That's stupid. See, I think football is a much more straightforward way to do it. Baseball's it's like rotisserie baseball. Have you ever played rotisserie baseball? It's like just insanely yeah, complicated. Yeah, it's bad. It's like a it's like a part-time job. He yeah, is bad. Baseball is hard to do in fantasy yeah. sports. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so you gotta yeah. set your lineup every day. Yeah. Every and if day. you got people that rest, you gotta yeah. Yeah. yeah I was up just, at like three in the morning yeah. trolling the waiver wire. I'm like, this is no way to live. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> That's why I stick to basketball and football <laughs> at this point. I can't do baseball. I was like, yeah, no, nah, this is it. This is it. It's a lot. So, yeah. Bef- but, yeah, Bef- I was like I said, I, go, ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 I have nothing. No, I was just, I was just reiterating what you were going to say. Go ahead, just say it. <laughs> the face. No, uh, so <laughs> one thing, uh, like, since I know you are you have a radio background or not, uh, with the, the rise of – the podcast platforms do you mm-hmm. feel as though that, that the radio industry is slowly starting to go away or do you feel yeah. like the, the radio industry is you know still going to dominate no matter what yeah See, i'm I gonna mean, say that i think people <laughs> i think people i know i do this too most of listen to radio when they're in their cars when you're driving from one place to another and then you know increasingly even like my kids they don't listen to the radio in the car they they've you know got their pot their ipod plugged in and increasingly i do too and so I, yeah, I, I think that radio, terrestrial radio is really going to have to find some way to, um, I don't know, like they're, first of all, they need to expand their audience. I mean, in sports talk radio, they're like, we care about men ages 18 to 54 and that's it. So, you know, and, and lineups in radio stations are mostly white men. And you've got fan bases that don't look at all like that, that have all kinds of different people in them, different genders, different races, different, you know, ethnicities. So, um, I don't know. I feel like a combination of, um, you know, technology and the fact that that stations just have not kept up with the changing demographics of the fan base is probably going to spell doom for them in the end. Probably not anytime soon. But I I think there was definitely um, a feeling when I was working in radio and I was at two different stations that were like things aren't like they used to be, like where we were like the kings, you know, of the airwaves. And it's just not that way anymore. And I think some of that, too is you know everything is so easily accessible you know mm-hmm. in the current with that that's the technology piece that you speak into but like you know you know radio you gotta listen to advertisements unless you got yep. series xm or something like that but right. who's paying for series xm when you can you know, i right. could just listen to you on a Right. On Apple Podcasts, Overcast or whatever. Like, hey, I don't need all that, you know. And yeah. And I there's think... also a lot of people that are like, you know, oh, I, I want to hear about the Bulls. I don't care about the Cubs or the White Sox. Yeah. And so right. they just, t- you know, turn it off, turn on a podcast. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the, to a degree, I think radio is maybe shifting to the podcast lane to a degree. Cause I mean, I feel like everybody got a podcast at this yeah. point. Like, it's just, yeah. You know, that's like the new radio waves, right? That's just, well, I think, and I think that there's a lot of temptation to bring in people that have had really successful podcasts into radio, but then it sort of like doesn't translate. 
because no. it's just live radio is just different and you've got yeah. to interact with callers and you know and, and so you bring someone in because they've got a great podcast where it's like you know two buddies talking or three buddies and then you put them in a, a radio station and it's just not the same no. um so yeah i don't know i mean I, when i was at 670 um tony gill who's now at nbc sports and i had a podcast that we love doing that was a true crime sports podcast and we did one season on michael jordan's father on the murder of michael jordan's father and we and and i i think that's the kind of thing that radio needs to pivot to doing um but we just got a lot of pushback and they just you know didn't think it was that interesting it's not what we do and so um i think that's kind of unfortunate i think a lot of the people making the decisions don't necessarily listen to podcasts and don't really get what the big deal is um so i don't know i mean i think that's gonna have to change eventually how is Tony as an individual. I've heard many stories just by listening. Is he <laughs> he's really... one of my favorite people in the world? Okay. Yes, okay. he is wonderful. He is, I never knew what was going to come out of his mouth when he was producing my show. Like, yeah. I mean, I think I found out he was a 9-11 truther on my show. Um, he just, you know, says things or, or it'll turn out like, or he won't know something super, super popular. Like he just has these weird blind spots for things that never crossed his radar. <laughs> But he's, yeah. he's, he's like the best person and he's, he's insanely talented. Um, when we did the Michael Jordan podcast, the, the James Jordan podcast, I would just be like, I would write it and we'd record it. And then I would be like, okay, just make it sound like cereal or something. And then he would go away and he'd come back and it would sound like an honest to God, like professionally produced big time podcast. He's just really, really good at that kind of stuff. Yeah. I love, I love Tony. I love uh, just the work that he's uh, the he's yeah. doing. Uh, he's the incredible. best. Yeah. He also would wear his Warriors hat, like his Warriors beanie, to Bulls practice all the time when he's covering the Bulls. That's what's on him. And then he had that great moment. I was like, "Did you wear?" He'd come in and he'd be like, oh, "I was just at Bulls practice," and I'm like, "Did you wear that hat to the practice?" And he's like, "Yeah." And then he had that great moment when um, James Boylan called. It was like he asked him a question in a post presser, and he's like, "Tone, yeah. brother." You know, and I just I never get tired of hearing that. I was just like James Boylan called you. James Boylan called you brother. It's amazing. That is, and <laughs> oof, I got some Jim Boylan stories. Uh, but we're not gonna talk about the Bulls. Oh, no, we ain't get away. I'm yeah, trying to block him out. <laughs> yeah, that's a oof. And then man works for NBA. No, all right. Anyways, um, <laughs> uh, we was wondering what what type of advice could you give to younger women that are are trying to pursue a career in sports and um, they're just trying to make it in the industry? So I think it's two things. I, the first thing I tell women is get used to asking for what you want as uncomfortable as it is. Um, if you're going to be, you know, working in this industry, you're going to have men who have no qualms asking for what they want, that they've been socialized. <laughs> then I think it's, you know, get used to asking for what you want, even though it's uncomfortable. So if you want to raise, or if you want a shot at solo hosting, or if you want a better time slot, or you think that you've earned the right to, you know, try to host a show, like you need to get used to marching into your boss's office and saying, this is what I want. And here's all the reasons I think I've earned it. Um, and I think that when you have been made to feel like you're just lucky to be there, that that's really difficult for women to do. And then the other thing is, I think you need to have, um, a crew of girlfriends that, that understand what you're going through. Um, and I don't think women have that. I think that we by and large, um, have been taught to sort of view each other as competition, that there's only going to be one spot and they're only going to be one woman and you want to be it. And so, you know, when I first got into the industry, there are a lot of women that I had bad experiences with because it was sort of like, 
backbiting and competitive. Um, and luckily I think a lot has changed in the past five years that I think women are doing a much better job of being there for each other. And I think that is due in huge part to women like Laura Oakman, who runs a camp, um, teaching women, you know, how to ask questions on the sidelines of football games and, and really encourages women to be there for each other and to, to form our own little sorority of women working in sports media. I think that's hugely important. And I know that without women like Jane McManus, my, my former podcast partner who writes for Deadspin, um, you know, other women in the industry that I would have had a really much tougher time. So I think that those two things are really important. Thank you for that. And now we go ahead and switch gears into the rapid fire round. So this is the game within the game segment, which we uh, we play and have a little fun towards the, and close out the uh, the podcast. So my question for you, Julie, is: Are you ready to play? I am ready. Hit me. All right. So the first question is: Chocolate chip cookies or oatmeal raisin? Oatmeal raisin. Let's go. Can I say oatmeal chocolate chip? I mean, that's really the best combination. Okay, I'll, so, I'll go with oatmeal raisin. So, look, in the past couple of episodes, we've had people that says oatmeal chocolate chip. So we met we we should have rephrased this question. So we, we're gonna re-ask it again because we make sure we have a clear winner. Juwan has a heart attack, so why he gets his heart together? We will uh, we will, we will <laughs> um, ask this question. So I'm gonna add on some additional cookies to the list. So okay. cool. chocolate chip. Oatmeal raisin, oatmeal chocolate chip, snickerdoodle, or sugar cookie? Sugar cookie. This man, now he's I can't help it. I can't. I mean, I know. I know it sounds stupid. It's just, it's my favorite. Sugar cookie. I have some downstairs. I'm going to go eat them when we're done. (laughs) (laughs) I I ain't ain't mad at that. What kind? You like the the ones with the frosting of it. Or like sprinkles. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like sugar sprinkles. Yeah. It's the simplicity of it that makes it, it good. Is. It is. is. Is that what it is though? Yeah. That's what it is. That's yeah. exactly what it is. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, to be okay. fair, I wouldn't turn down any of those cookies where they offered to me. <laughs> well, well, look, okay. Well, that makes sense too. <laughs> uh, okay. So your next one is TV shows or movies. Lately, I guess TV shows. I've been to a movie for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I think like an hour, like an hour long. That's like, I think that's like the optimal time to watch something. So what shows are you watching? Succession. Currently? Succession. Okay. Okay. Um, Yellow Jackets on Showtime. Have you guys heard about this one? Sort of like if Lord of the Flies was a high school girls soccer team. Huh. It's really but- good <laughs> It's really good. Um, I love, I I watch a lot of documentaries, a lot of stuff on like PBS and history channel and stuff like that. I'm a history junkie. My husband was a history major. So we watch a lot of history stuff. Um, yeah, just kind of, you know, Oh, a lot of like datelines and 48 hour mysteries, true crime stuff Hmm. deeply into that and then sports around it. So. Um, you guys seem so underwhelmed by my answer. No, 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 I'm just thinking of that show. Like I'm because I I mean I look at a lot of shows on like Showtime Stars and HBO. So I'm just thinking, I'm like, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, it's that been was- it's been horribly underpromoted. 
And okay. I only found out about it because people were tweeting about it. And then I went and found it. So you guys should now go find it and pass it on. I think I will see. You. We got you. Yeah, we got you. Sort of like no if Lord of the Flies meets Lost. It's kind of that kind of thing. Okay. Good. Sounds good. Put, it, put it in down notes. All right. <laughs> um, your favorite five women athletes. Mm. Martina Navratilova. Ooh, tennis um, star. Yes. Um, Nadia Komenich. She was my childhood hero. She's a gymnast. Gymnast. Um, Julie Foudy. U.S. soccer player at Serena Williams. Everybody loves Serena. Um, God, I feel like there's so many to name. Um, I love Megan Rapino. I love Sue Bird. Um, I Candace Parker lives. You know, is from Naperville. I'm living Naperville. Like, um, so yeah. I, I mean, I God, I could probably come up with a lot more if I sat here and thought about it. Oh, Jackie Joyner Kersey. I mean, growing up, like she was. You know, every Olympics, I watched her win like 50 medals. Um, yeah. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's so many, uh, Bonnie Blair, um, Simone Biles, of course. Um, yeah, that's, that's way more than five. <laughs> all good. It's all good. So I guess, uh, let me ask this, uh, just a caveat to that question. Not, this is not a part of the game within the game, but this is just a caveat okay. question. Understood. So, uh, do you think that Candace Parker got snubbed? from the sports illustrated was it the oh god person yes. of the year the man yes. of the year or whatever yeah. i think i think naomi osaka got snubbed i think simone biles got snubbed like i think there were so many better choices especially in a year where we spent so much time talking about uh the mental health of athletes and it all sort of started with naomi osaka so yeah. how she doesn't wind up there or candace parker doing what she did coming back to the to Chicagoland area and leading the sky to a championship. I mean, that was such a great story. It's like, I feel like pick a woman. There was a better story out there than Tom Brady. Ugh. <laughs> Especially yeah. since he like all his COVID stuff, like he won't wear a mask. And then he got like a PPP loan and bought a million dollar boat. And like, it's just like, seriously, like there was so much stuff that happened. And particularly with, you know, the, the women of the WNBA continuing to lead the Black Lives Matter movement in the sports world. And, and there were just so many better stories out there, I think. And how you put like, how you give that award to Colin Kaepernick one year and then the next year, give it to Tom Brady. I just sort of don't understand. Bad decision, bad. It we is. were talking about this today in our staff meeting. Like, I think somebody's going to write about it. It's only sure. I mean, that's I definitely- I seen that yeah. pop up on my Twitter feed and I was like, Oh, they just announced that today. Really? Yeah. Ah, yeah. She, I think she did get snubbed because she definitely yeah. brought a whole city, mm-hmm. really the state, really just, you, that's like, you know, yeah. when LeBron won in Cleveland, like it yeah. just kind of, yep. you put yep. it all together. Like it's exactly you know? right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. my husband does, isn't that into basketball and isn't into the WNBA at all, but he was downtown the day of the parade and he was calling me like jumping up and down. He's like, the sky just went by on their bus. I mean, everybody was so excited. So yeah. And plus they all wore masks, which Tom Brady definitely did not do in the Super Bowl parade and then got COVID afterwards. And then like, the, whatever. I'm not, a huge, I'm not a huge fan. <laughs> Thank you. 
because there's someone on a, on a podcast. Well, that... well, okay, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Are you a big Tom Brady fan? I'm a oh. patriot. I'm a Patriot fan. Okay, so Tom Brady was, you know, was our quarterback. So yes, I mean, I do appreciate Tom Brady, but I do get that he shouldn't. Have, I feel like he shouldn't have been on the cover. I'll say that at least. Still a great quarterback. I just don't think he should have been on the cover for Man of the Year or Person of the Year. Yeah, I think Sports it. Person of the Year encompasses more than just what you did in sports. Yeah. I think there needs to be like a, a an outside the, the off the field sort of component. To yeah, it. yeah, yeah. So I mean, I agree. So don't you can't just say, oh, because you got a Patriot, a, a Tom Brady guy. <laughs> ah, okay, like wait, wait. I, it's in reason. Like I get. Yes, there's. I'm one of the rational fans. Okay. I gotta Go give ahead. some hard time okay. when I can. You know, it's hard. I gotta claim. Well, mine is easy. Can. Mine's is easy. All I gotta do is say bears. That's it. I won. <laughs> I won already. I won already. Oh, all right, so moving on. Moving on. Here. Rex Grossman. That's all I gotta say. I won. I won already. Ooh. I won. Like I won. Like Jay Cutler. Right. Do we need? I won. Uh, I won already. Like, oh, Jay's hey. a good quarterback. He just had a horse. Horrible coaches, horrible system. He was, mm-hmm. he was. You know, I just I mean, Adam I just, Gase was the offensive coordinator. I just love Cutler mm-hmm. when he threw an interception. He just flicked the helmet up on top of his head, like you know, I don't care. You know, whatever <laughs> happened, like it happened. I don't so think what? he did care. Like, I mean, like, he just would walk off like this is perfect. <laughs> this guy. <laughs> Woo. Oh man, go ahead, Desmond. I'm get, sorry. Good, good OJ, good OJ Kelly. Yeah. Also, yeah. on on the flip side of the women's, you know, favorite five uh, men athletes. Men athletes, male athletes. Yep. Um, Walter Payton. Um, yeah. I mean, I grew up right in the middle of Bulls, um, you know, Bulls hysteria in Chicago. But I'll say this: I always loved Dominique Wilkins. Um, he was like my big, like the guy that I loved from another team. Um. Gosh, who else is, God, there's so much of the, oh, um, Mark Grice, my favorite player when I was a kid, my favorite baseball player. Um, geez, it's so hard because I'm trying to run through like all four sports leagues, plus like the Olympics, plus like cycling, um, hmm. everything that I could think of. Winter Olympics, I'll just, I'll just stick with like the big four. Um, Dan Hampton. Um, okay. I was a huge Dan Hampton fan when I was a kid. Um, everybody, you know, when they asked like who your favorite bear was, it was like, who's your favorite bear besides Walter Payton and Dan Hampton was always mine. So mm. that's three, uh, loved Horace Grant with the bulls. Oh, um, that's a, that's a interesting pick. Horace yeah. Grant. Well, cause mm. you had to have a player besides Michael Jordan. Everybody loved Michael Jordan. Yeah. Um, you know what? I, I got to host every couple or every like Sunday or Saturday. I got to host radio shows with my partner, Maggie Hendricks and with Lance Briggs. And he was a tremendous Chicago bear. So yeah. I'll put Lance Briggs in there too. get them in the hall of fame. Facts, big facts on that. That's probably the only bright spot that y'all had was defense. Over yeah, the well, last... it was never the offense. It's never yeah, the, the last offense. ever the yeah. offense. There was that brief Matt Nagy window where he was calling all these trick plays, and we thought he was like some kind of genius. And and then it and then that season ended. That was 2018. And he came back in 2019, and everything just sucked. It sucked ever since. Yeah, like the first eight weeks of that season. So yeah, and he's like, "Oh, this is the Willy Wonka. This is the Santa sleigh." And they were all well; these plays were working, and we were like, "This is incredible!" And then, and then it ended. Mm-hmm. And it's still ending poorly. Yeah. Now it ha- it yeah. hasn't recovered. 
Yeah, that's true. It just brings me great joy. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Um, if you could go pro in any sport, what would it be? Does it have to be a sport that I played or can it be anything? Any well, I'll, I'll do both. I'll, I'll say, you know, well, I think baseball is like the life. Like, I think that's like, if you can play baseball, write your own ticket. So you would be baseball. If I had to do it based on sports that I played that I was the best at, it was probably soccer. What position? Center midfield. Ah, okay. Good. Good. Like it. I dig it. All right. Um, your favorite sports moment that you've seen or witnessed? Okay. Uh, so I think the Cubs winning the World Series in 2016 is the obvious one, but I have this very specific memory of um, being in law school and I, 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 one of the lawyers I was clerking for took me to a Bulls game and um, I hadn't been to a Bulls game in the United Center. I'd only been to games in Chicago Stadium. And uh, he, we were, we had really good seats and I don't even remember who they were playing, who the Bulls were playing, but I do remember at one point, Michael Jordan got the ball at half court. He took it at, at the free throw line. His tongue came out. He went up in the air and did the like iconic Michael Jordan slam. And I was just sort of like, I can die happy now. I have seen the Michael Jordan dunk with the tongue and everything. And so I think that might be it. Yeah. Just like, eh, loved it. You don't have to hate on that, Jawan. You know. No, no, I'm not hating on it. I, I mean, that's what. It, yeah, that's what he did. He, he make did a lot the, of faces. He did the tongue. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> He's like he did the tongue thing. That's all. I'm just saying, did the tongue. You know? yeah. I'm a Kobe guy, so you know, I'm just like, hey, you know, I seen it. I seen that too. Kobe did it. So yeah, because yeah. he copied Michael. True. Uh, I'm not going to disagree with you. He did. <laughs> I disagree not one bit. <laughs> it was, I mean, I think, you know, living in and around Chicago during the 90s when the Bulls were just kings of the world, it was just a really special time to be in the city. And that to me, bright spots there either, ever since Rose. <laughs> not recently. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> fun this year, though. It, so far, so good. Yeah, they're fun. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. Am I winning this game? How do I win this? Uh, let's see. Um, hmm. <laughs> are you winning? Yeah, I guess you're, I mean, you're answering them. So, I mean, yeah, I guess okay. you are winning. You're winning. So your next question would be, what's the last book that you have read? Mm, 1619 Project. By who? It's, it's great. So By uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones. Okay. It is um, about uh, the fact that white supremacy has been baked into this country since 1619 when the first slave ship landed here and um has a bunch of different chapters going through like you know our healthcare system and music and, and just how um racism has shaped every single institution in this country i think it's it's the like number one book on the bestseller list for like the third week in a row and i think it's going to be the one of the biggest books written for a really long time We'll be turning some pages. That's gonna be the yeah. this one. Ooh, that's hot. Mm -hmm. It's hot off the press. I see it smoking in the background somewhere. Yeah. Oof. I thought. Oof. <laughs> um, so one of the final questions we have is if you had a, a chance to take over any organization, who would you choose? Now, this organization, it doesn't have to be just be sports, 
you could it could be Chase Bank because you just want to have take all their money. You know, it could be the NCAA. All their money. Yeah, all their money. Run it. You know, your I, world, your choice. I want to take over FIFA. I think it's the worst mm. organization in the I mean, the IOC gives them like a run for their money in terms of like being <laughs> terrible. But I think FIFA has more money and they're so they're probably more terrible. And yes, I would I would like to take over FIFA. That is the first time we've heard that. Really? All right. Oh, yeah. Well, I've let I have less competition then. What do other people you, say? A lot of people said uh I heard I've heard Dallas, you know, some people would like uh did they passion like like Red Cross um, was it Red Cross? What is it? Oh, the right yeah. It was a not not for profit, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think what else we've heard. Uh, we heard Chase. Uh, we've heard um, Nike. I mean, Am- Amazon would be a good one. Tesla was another yeah. one. Uh, someone said they'll take over the U.S. government. Yeah, <laughs> that hard pass it, on that one. The NCAA. <laughs> so- <laughs> the NCAA, the uh, Olympic Committee, uh, yeah, the Olympic yep. Games. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think anything that has international reach and has a lot of money really does have a potential to shape our world. And um, yeah, that's that's kind of why I reach for FIFA. Makes sense. It does. So I'm, see- I'm starting to read. And now that I've said Amazon, though, I'm kind of starting to think about that. <laughs> I'll, you, stick, I'll you- stick with FIFA. You could probably take Amazon and almost buy FIFA. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that is very true. You could also pay people a living wage instead of buying FIFA. <laughs> no argument here. Yeah. I'd shut down the book section so that bookstores can come back. Just shut it down. No more books from Amazon. You want a book? You got to go to a bookstore. No argument here. Yep. He's like, yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> not a big reader <laughs> no no i am i just when you say yeah yeah you're right but yeah you just, yeah <laughs> this is nothing to say yep, yep yep i was just talking to my brother about this other day of you know how much like the digital age has affected things like remember as you we used to have to take uh, vhs tapes back and we used to get a mm-hmm. fine way you know the, the yep. vhs tape wasn't rewind all the way and just trying to look at me like Dude, what are you just, talking about? You just said VHS tapes. You went yes. way back, dude. Whoa. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, Whoa. beforehand, look, you have to start with that because you went from having to go somewhere to rent stuff out. So now you just want click of a button. You have it. Yeah, I hit, but why you had to use VHS tapes, though? Why you? <laughs> had That's not that you old. Dude, That's I remember old. when VHS tapes came out. You know what we had at my house? We had beta. Betamax because my dad decided that he'd been in California and beta was huge there. So he really thought between the two beta was going to be the one that was really going to take off. Oof. So you know what that's like? It's like, remember when, when the app store and Apple used to, or not the, not on Apple, but like when people would create apps and they would only create them for Apple and there'd be just like a few things for Android. It was like that. Yeah. It was like we'd go to the store and like one entire wall would be at, at Blockbuster would be like VHS. And then there'd be like one little section of beta. And it was all like horrible B movies that nobody wanted to see. Yeah. I'm not bitter about it. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you had to deal with that. <laughs> Thank you. You can only watch Pete's <laughs> Dragon so many times, dad. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. All right, Julie, one final question, the hardest question of them, of them all. Okay. Where can people go and follow you at on social media and keep up with you, with you and your career? Well, if I'm, if I am on Twitter, um, it's at Julie DeCaro, I'm trying to do, I'm trying to lean more into Instagram just because it seems like a nicer place. And I think it takes more effort for people to like follow you around and say mean things on Instagram. Um, that's also at Julie DeCaro. And, um, you can check out my book. It's called Sidelines, Sports Culture and Being a Woman in America, wherever you get your books or at your local library and um, or read me over at Deadspin. All right, ladies and gentlemen, y'all heard it there. Go ahead. Give Julie a follow and go ahead. Purchase her book um, and um, please do so. I know we will be purchasing a copy ourselves. We typically buy a copy of at least if we know the person you know, as a book, we try to at least purchase the book to at least support us. I know we'll oh, be doing that's nice. that Thank for you. sure. Yeah, of course, no problem. Um, for all the listeners, subscribers out there, we thank you for tuning in to another episode of Capturing the Game. As a reminder, you can follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at CTG underscore podcast. Um, also, we're also on YouTube and Facebook at Capturing the Game podcast. Julie, it's been dope and a pleasure to have you on and just kind of talk and have a, a whole bunch of laughs for the past hour and a half or whatever how long we've been on this podcast but you know thank you so much for hopping on and uh giving back some of your time thanks for having me guys it was a lot of fun thank you